I was listening to someone tell a story this week of how bad they were at giving gifts and how over the years they've learned, tried to learn to become better at giving good gifts. Uh, the guy said that his first Christmas, when he first had a serious girlfriend, he's like, okay, I need to get her some kind of Christmas present. And so he got her pears. And the reason he got her pears was because she had gone on and on about how much she loved figs. And figs were out of season. And so he got her pears. The next Christmas, she thought, I need to give him a little guidance. And so she asked for jewelry. And so he went and bought her a pocket watch. Yes, a pocket watch like your great-grandfather would have had, which are just very popular with women, right? So, so the next Christmas... Uh, the, the, the mother-in-law said, look, this is what you need to get her, and this is the store you need to go to, and here are directions to the store. Let me help you in learning how to give good gifts. So anyway, eventually that relationship ended. He went on to another relationship, um, and he was trying to figure out this Christmas gift-giving thing again. And so he's like, I'm going to get something big this time. And so he got, well, we don't have it up here today, but he, we had, he bought a big keyboard piano keyboard and that was his gift and so he's sitting at her family's Christmas gathering their opening gifts and the problem was they didn't do that kind of gifts they gave gifts like uh, I donated $50 to the Humane Society in your name or I gave $75 to National Public Radio in your behalf okay and so he's got this big keyboard and his girlfriend gives him a scrapbook made up of all the moments of their months dating and so he's, he still is trying to get grasp, how do I give good gifts? Uh, I hope you got good gifts this morning. If not, I hope you can exchange them. Um, and I, I hope you gave good gifts this morning. What we're going to talk about this morning is the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. We say that every Christmas, right? God has given us this gift in Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? What, what, what comes with this? And so I want us to open that and think about the gift that we have, one aspect of that gift that we have in Christ together this morning. So, Galatians 4, uh, beginning in verse 1, this is God's word. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you for the the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the the freedom that the gospel brings. I pray that you'd help me to to unpack this truth um, this morning in a way that would be helpful uh, and encouraging to all of us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I want us to think about is, if you'll just do this picture of Jesus coming to you, we say Jesus is is the, the greatest gift of Christmas. And think about his arms loaded down with, with gifts for us. What are in those boxes? And there's three I want us to open this morning and look at. And really we're going to spend about 98% of the time on one of them and then mention the other two. But, but the, the three gifts I want us to think about that Christ brings us are freedom, uh, intimacy, 
and family. Freedom, intimacy, and family. First of all, freedom. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Read those again with me. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Uh, In those days, if, if you were wealthy and had a child, you might put that child, you might put your heir under the care of a guardian. And if you're that child under the care of a guardian, your name would be on everything, but you would not have the privilege of enjoying any of that until the time appointed by your father. And until you got to that day, you were really more treated more like a slave than you were a son. You were not really any different from a slave in those days. So on the one hand, what Paul may be saying here, he may be making the point that, that God had always been promising his people this spiritual uh, intimacy and liberty and freedom, but they never really got to experience it the way that we do this side of the cross. But I think he's saying more than that, because let's go on to verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, now what, what does that mean to be enslaved to the elementary principles of the world? Well, if you jump ahead, and I don't have this printed in the bulletin, but if you jump ahead to verse 8, Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So that's kind of the weird phrase there. What is, what is elementary principles? What does Paul mean when he says that? Uh, it's a word that the Greeks used to refer to the basic elements of this world. Things like fire, water, air, earth. Those are the basic, those are the elementary principles. The pagans of that day used the same phrase, elementary principles, to refer to the gods that they thought stood behind these basic elements. So the god of fire, the god of water, the god of the air, all, all of these things. And so... Sailors would offer sacrifices to the sea god. And farmers would offer sacrifices to the rain god or the weather god or whoever. And Paul says, verse 8, you are enslaved to those who by nature were not gods. Uh, In other words, you, you were trapped in this system where you were trying to appease those gods that were not gods. And that's the way you lived your life. Now... Uh, we haven't been in Galatians recently, but, but who's Galatians written to? Who is this book written to? It's written to people living in Galatia who had been living as pagans. They were people who would have worshipped gods that are not gods. So that, that's who they had been. So you might say, well, Paul's just warning them, don't go back to paganism again because that will simply be enslaving to you. But that's not the point of the book of Galatians. The problem in Galatians is that these false teachers, these Judaizers, had come in after Paul had preached the gospel. And they had said, Jesus is great, but if you really want to know God, if you really want to be saved, you need Jesus and you need to do a bunch of good works. You need to keep all the regulations of the Mosaic Law. And so basically, they were, they were, there was this temptation to turn to this legalistic Judaism. And so what Paul is saying is... Don't go back to a system that will enslave you. Don't go to a system that says you're right with God, you manipulate God, you cause God to like you by what you do. You see what he's doing? 
He's saying you are enslaved pagans and you're going to be enslaved all over again if you turn to this legalistic Judaism. They're both equally enslaving. They're both ways of you jumping through religious hoops to try to get God to do what you want Him to do. Now that, that's a little bit startling on the face of it when you think about it. That the Apostle Paul would say, hey, religion is just as dangerous to you as paganism. Now why is that? It's because they're both ways of us trying to save ourselves. They're, they're both ways of us trying to appease God through our works. They're both ways of us trying to rescue ourselves from the difficulties of life in a fallen, word, a fallen world. Right? They're both jumping through religious hoops. And if I jump through the right religious hoops, then the gods or God or whoever will make my life okay and things will go the way that I want them to do. So I do the rain dance or offer the sacrifice or whatever it is to appease the gods. I bow down to them. Now, we don't bow down to the weather gods or the rain god, but what do we bow down to today? We bow down to things like status, comfort, power, control, uh, and we spend our lives trying to acquire these things, trying to acquire wealth, uh, trying to to, to meet the demands of of popularity or whatever it may be. And so we become enslaved in the same way to gods that are not gods. I was was watching a television show recently. It was one episode about a about a fictional world where everyone looks around staring at a smartphone all the time. Okay, It is fictional. Uh, and everybody in this world is in one big social media network. Okay, So we would all be on, it's like it's required, we would all be on Facebook together. And you're always on all the time. In fact, every interaction you have with other people you rate. Like, um, I would look at Emma and say, you're paying attention pretty well right now. I'll give you a five. Uh, and, and John Wright would say, that was a terrible point, Justin, you just made. And he'd give me a two or something like that. So, so all of your interactions with other people are constantly being rated and evaluated. It's not just the pictures you put online. It's everything you do. When you go to Starbucks, you, you put on this fake smile and you interact because that person's going to rate you. And you're going to rate them as well. You could even lose your job if your rating gets low enough. And everybody's rated on a scale of one to five stars. And so there's this character on a television show named Lacey. Uh, and, and Lacey is a 4.2. So she's, she's pretty solid. She's a pretty decent person in this society. And she is convinced that she wants to uh, buy an apartment in this lifestyle luxury community. Uh, it's, it's one of these places where she goes in and there's, they have holograms of her enjoying the kitchen or watching television. So she can get an idea of what would it be like for me to live here. And so she's all excited about living in this place. The only problem is in order for her to be able to afford this community, she has to be a 4.5. And she's only a 4.2. So what do you do? What do you do when you need to be a 4.5 and you're only a 4.2? Well... She goes to a reputation manager whose job is to increase the velocity of her popularity arc. Now, unless you think that's far-fetched, three years ago, three years ago, Forbes magazine had had an article entitled, Is Online Reputation Management Worth the Money? 
That was three years ago. So anyway, in this show, Lacey finds out the quickest way to boost her popularity, she's got to get to 4.5, is to have people who are rated very high give her high ratings. Like if somebody who's a 1 gives me a high rating, it doesn't affect me that much. If you're a 5 and you give me a high rating, it really boosts my popularity. So it's like, I gotta, this is what I'm going to do. i got to get boosted in this way. Well, it just happens that a friend from her past that she lost touch with is having a wet, is getting married and she wants Lacey to be her maid of honor and she wants her to give the speech at the wedding. And so Lacey's like, this is a solution. I go to this wedding where everybody is a four seven or higher and I give my speech and everybody loves my speech and they rate me higher and then I qualify to get into this apartment community. So that's that's her plan. These are the hoops she has to jump through. And so she goes to the airport. She's ready to go to her friend's wedding. And something's happened. Her flight's been canceled. And so she's trying to keep it together. And she's a little impatient. She says, can you please give me another flight? And the lady says, yes. There's one seat left. And she says, great, I'll take it. Uh, and the lady says, there's only one thing. You have to be a 4-2. And Lacey says, well, I am a 4-2. And she says, well, actually, you're a 4.182. And what had happened is she got in a fight with her brother on the way out of the house and he downgraded her. And then she bumped into somebody and spilled coffee on her and they downgraded her. And now she couldn't qualify for the flight that she had to get on to go give the speech so that everybody else would you know, upgrade her, whatever, rate her more highly. So she has a meltdown in the middle of the airport and they call security. And security doesn't drag her off. Security comes and says... We're, we're not going to point off your rating for the next, I don't know, five days. So you're now instead of a 4.2, you're a 3.2. And you're on double damage. So if anybody downgrades you, it counts double. And they send her off. So now she can't get a flight. Uh, she goes to get a rental car. And because she's rated so low now, she can't get in the fast lane to get a rental car. She has to get in the slow lane. And when she gets there, she can't get a good rental car. She gets a really junky rental car. And she gets into the rental car, and it's like computer interactive. And because it's so bad, all the language is in Czechoslovakian. And she can't figure out how to operate it. She finally gets it going. She's going down the road, and it's an electric car. And it runs out of electricity. The battery dies. So she stops at the charging station. And it's an old car, so she doesn't have the right lightning cable to plug into it. They haven't updated. And so she's stuck there. She's stuck there on the side of the road, and she has to start walking. Now, can you imagine a world where every social interaction was ranked? Some of us feel like that on social media right now. Some of us feel like that in real life. Like we are, we are desperately trying to get other people to like us, to think highly of us, to accept us into their system, uh, their social stratosphere, their social circles, whatever, whatever it is. And it's all just this great big system of works righteousness. Of me trying to appease the laws of whatever circle I'm trying to get into. Uh, And it's not just uh, secular things. We do this in religion too. Uh, John Wesley, you probably know that name. He was the minister and he was the son of a minister. Uh, When he was at Oxford, he formed a group called the Holy Club. And he and his friends would do all of the right religious things. They would serve the prisons. They would go to the workhouses. They observed two Sabbaths a week. Okay, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Are like we're not sure which it should be. We're just gonna we're just gonna observe both of them. They worship. They read the Bible. 
But looking back, Wesley says, all we were trying to do was we were trying to create our own righteousness. We were trying to do good works, good enough works, so that we would feel that God had actually accepted us. Uh, He later came to to trust in Christ alone for his salvation. And he said about that previous time, I had even the faith of a servant, not the faith of a son. Not the faith of a son. Uh, you, You think about the story of the prodigal sons. You've got the younger brother who runs off and goes into wild living. You've got the older brother who stays home and does all the right things, but he's doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Neither of them really want to know their father. Both of them just want their father's things. One of them asks for it and runs away and and, and spends it recklessly. The other is staying at home and he's doing the right things, but he's really just trying to earn his father's approval and earn his father's wealth. Both of them were enslaved. Both the non-religious and the religious one were enslaved. They were both under the law. And whenever you're under law like that, it is enslaving. Whether it's the law of popularity, I've got to do things to get you to like me. Whether it's the law of what I must do as a man in this society to provide for my family or whatever it is that I've got to live up to. Whether it's whatever standards we place on women in our society of beauty and, and, and being wage earners and, and doing all of these things that we expect of ourselves. We expect of ourselves as women. We expect of ourselves as men. Whenever we, we put that as a law over us, I've got to live up to these things. It's just all this works righteousness. This way of, of saying, look, I, I'm okay. And get other people to say that about us. Feeling that way about ourselves trying to make ourselves right with God through our works. And it's all works righteousness and it's all enslaving. So how do we find freedom? How do we find freedom? Well, let's go back to Lacey. We we, we left Lacey on the side of the road. She still wanted to make it to the wedding. So she started hitchhiking. And people are passing her because her rating has dropped so low. Like they can look on the phone and be like, I'm not picking her up. And so finally, this middle-aged woman truck driver stops. And Lacey looks at her phone, and the woman is a 1.4. Uh, and the truck driver asks Lacey, hey, do you want to ride? And Lacey, she's like, no, that's okay. I don't want to get in the truck. Even in my desperate situation, I don't want to get in the truck with you. And the truck driver says, yeah, come on, I'm not going to buy it. Come get in the car, and I'll give you a ride. So Lacey gets in the truck. And she immediately starts checking her phone to check this person's status on social media. And the truck driver says, oh, you're checking for danger signs, aren't you? Uh, You must think I'm some kind of anti-social maniac if I'm a 1.4. And she says, what happened to you? You're a 2.8, but you don't look like a 2.8. What's your story? And Lacey says, it's it's temporary. I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to this wedding, I'm going to, I'm going to give my speech, and then everything's going to be okay. Do you want to hear my speech? And the truck driver says, no, <laughs> I don't want to hear your speech. Uh, how come you're a 2.8? And she says, well, I, I, I got marked down at the airport for yelling. Well, how did that feel? It felt awful. No, I meant the yelling. How did that feel? <clears throat> and she says, I don't know, I was mad, and look where it got me. But as long as I get to the wedding and do the speech and they all rate me high, it'll be okay. Excuse me. And then the truck driver says, you know, you remind me of me. 
I used to be a 4.6, and I used to live for it. And then about eight years ago, uh, my husband, Tom, came down with cancer. And the symptoms showed up really late, and there wasn't much we could do about it. And Lacey says, I'm so (coughs) so sorry. And the truck driver says, you don't know me, so you're not sorry. You're just mainly awkward because I've sprung some cancer talk at you. She says, I five-starred every doctor, every nurse, every consultant that we had, and the cancer didn't care. It just kept growing. A couple months later, we heard about this experimental treatment, and it was really expensive and really exclusive, and I did everything I could to get my husband into that program. He was a 4.3, and they gave his spot to a 4.4. So when he died... I thought, forget it, just forget it. And I started saying what I wanted to say and doing what I wanted to do. Just drop it out there. And people don't always like that. It's incredible how fast you slip off the ladder when you start being honest with your friends. You find out who your real friends are. But it felt good to be rid of all that. It felt like taking off a tight pair of shoes. You should try it. Unless you says, oh, come on. I can't just kick off my shoes and walk the earth or whatever. You don't know unless you try. Oh, that's just, look, it looks like you had something in your life. You had real things, good things, and you lost that all, and I'm sorry. So now you've got nothing to lose. But I don't even have that something worth losing yet. You know, I'm still fighting for that. And the truck driver says... And what is that? I I don't know, enough. Enough to be content. Like to look around and think, well, I guess I'm okay. Just to be able to breathe out, not feeling like, like, and this is way off. And until I get there, I have to play the game. We all do. That's the world we're in. That's how the world works. Can you you feel it? I know you can feel it because, because we've been in this kind of situation ourselves. Maybe... Maybe you've been fighting for, for that. Maybe you're still fighting for that. And if I can just get that, I'll be able to say, well, I guess I'm okay. And it's also <laughs> enslaving. We convince ourselves that when we get there, when we get this, it'll be okay. And so where do we find freedom in that story I just told? I think we all look at the truck driver. I think Jesus kind of showed up in a way in the cab. How did the truck driver find freedom? It was through a death. Her husband died, and so the law that had hung over her didn't hang over her any longer. She said, you know what, forget it. I'm, not, I'm just not going to try to live up to everybody's standards anymore. Because her husband died because of that death, she died to the rule of the law reigning over her. How do we find life? How do we find freedom? It's through a death. It's through a death. Look look at what Paul says in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, that's what we're celebrating today. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, at Christmas. Jesus was born under the law. He was under, born under this reign of rules and regulations that demanded that he measure up. 
And why did he do that? Why did he come and put himself under the law? Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came and he placed himself under the demands of the law and he met the demands of the law. He looked at the requirements of the law and he said, I got this. And he lived a perfect 5.0 life. He measured up to the requirements of law. And then he allowed himself to be punished as one who had utterly failed to meet the requirements of the law. The law said jump. Jesus said how high and he did it. And he said, I'm doing it all for them. I'm doing it all for those who will believe in me. So when the law says to you, you don't measure up, you can say, now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't measure up. That's right. But Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus met the demands of the law for us. So we can be free from them in terms of uh, them being something we have to achieve to achieve righteousness before holy God. He meets the demands of the law for us. Demands that we can't meet so that he can redeem us from slavery and make us sons and daughters of God. So that's the gift that Jesus offers to you at Christmas. It's freedom. It's freedom. If if you believe in Jesus, if you receive as your Savior this one who has come to rescue you from the demands of the law, you will be freed from your slavery and you will be made a son of the living God. And that means if you're in Christ, you're free. You're free. And that means you can stop doing. You can stop doing. You can stop doing to impress God. You can stop doing to impress other people. You can stop doing to try to impress yourself. And convince yourself that somehow you're okay. Because God has welcomed you in Christ as a five star. Even though the reality is you're really a one or a two star. We all are. We can quit worrying about that. And we can also, because we have this acceptance in Christ before our Father, we can quit worrying so much about what other people think of us. What other people are rating us. Because we are acceptable in Christ. When Lacey was on the way to her friend's wedding, her friend looked at her phone and saw that Lacey's rating had dropped to a 2.0. And so she called Lacey and said, don't come. I can't have you here. I don't want you here. It would be too much of an embarrassment. Your false gods will always turn on you when you fail to live up to their demands. They will always turn on you. You're not acceptable to me. Because you have not met the demands of the law. But what does God say to his redeemed children when we fail to measure up? He says, yeah, you've messed up and and, and we need to, to learn to work on that. But my son has redeemed you. You're not a slave. You're my child and I love you. And everything I have is yours. That's freedom. You don't have to earn that. That's freedom. And that's yours. In Jesus Christ. Well, there are other gifts in this passage. Uh, along with freedom comes intimacy. Verse 6, we have the Spirit in our hearts crying out, Abba, Daddy. 
so that we can run to our Father, whatever we need to, and leap into His arms. Along with the freedom and intimacy comes this new family, a family made up of one and two stars. Maybe a little bit of a three star every once in a while, but there's, there's no superiority here. There's no superiority here. We're all, we're all mess-ups, but we're all welcomed and loved, no matter how highly or lowly we're rated by the world. So we have freedom, and we have intimacy, and we have a, a family where we can grow in these things. I'm not going to tell you what happened to Lacey, uh, but I will tell you that continue to, to continue to try to fashion your own righteousness, to continue to try to jump through the hoops will only lead to slavery. It only leads to prison. But if you and I lay our deadly doing down and come to Jesus Christ and rest in what He has done instead of what we do, that brings freedom. I had an uncle who he became somewhat famous for this. Uh, it it kind of started once and then became a little bit of tradition. Uh, every year after the Christmas meal, he would eat, he would pick out and then he would literally lay down under the, under the table and take a nap right there in the dining room. Now, that, that's freedom, right? To, to be able to just say, I'm just laying down right here and going to sleep. But, but, but he, had, he had pigged out and he rejoiced and he was free to take a nap. That's freedom. Do you have, do you have freedom this morning? Don't you want to take off that tight pair of shoes that's always saying to you, you've got to measure up. I want to invite you this morning to to pull a chair up to the table, as it were, in a moment. And to feast on the gospel. To feast on what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then leave here resting. You can all come up here and lay down if you want to. That would be kind of funny, but probably not. But, but, but 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 then leave here resting in what Christ has done and not what you need to do. That's freedom. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the the freedom from the demands of the law that Jesus brings. I pray that you would help us uh, to rest in what he has done for us. That we would go out and we would live holy lives, but we wouldn't do that to try to earn your favor. We would do that because we have your favor. Because you have loved us. And Father, I pray that along that, with that you would free us from the demands that are placed on us by others, by the demands that we place on ourselves, the standards that we try to live up to, thinking if I just live up to this, if this is just the best Christmas ever, then everything's going to be okay. Would you free us from that? Because we know that even if we royally messed up this Christmas, we are still your sons and your daughters, and we are welcomed and loved by you. Help us to believe that and to live like we believe that. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.